of your eye, huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. We still are just getting started with season four as far as released episodes, but this is episode four. So we're almost halfway done with season four already. And we have a bonus one coming up with Jeff Strand, too. So Yeah, on top of our regular bonus. On top of our regular bonus. We're just awesome that way. So this one is The House of the Devil, and it's an interesting one. So tell us about House of the Devil, Reese. House of the Devil is a United States-produced film done in 2009 i believe it was the second or third film by a guy named ty west we have done other films that have been tributes to the heyday of horror films of the late 70s early 80s and you had things like hatchet for instance where there were almost scene for scene body dismemberments taken out of it it was done very tongue-in-cheek Ty West, on the other hand, pays tribute to that era of filmmaking by embracing the culture and the overall look and not so much the scene by scene thing. But, for instance, he shoots on 16 millimeter film. Yeah. Which is what they used to shoot in back then, as opposed to 32 millimeter film, because it was a hell of a lot cheaper. And he continued to shoot his films in 16 millimeter He was even noting how cost prohibitive it was becoming because it was so much cheaper to shoot it in digital. That's that's funny. It's the opposite of what it was. (laughs) Yeah. And I did notice it looks like it's from the 70s. The title card, the way they do the credits, some of the scene angles you don't see so much anymore. Some of the shots that are just a little too long, watching somebody walk across campus, little things like that. Or watching someone walk through a tunnel. It's just had that dripping feel of a 70s movie. In fact, if you put this and Last House on the left side by side, you'd probably be hard-pressed to tell that they're not both from... Anyway, so what I was saying is this and Last House on the left, if you put them side by side, you would have to be hard-pressed, really pay attention to see that they weren't made like the same year, that they they had that same feel to, to both of them and how it builds up and what the reveal is near the end and all of that. It really damn good job of making it look like a 70s horror. And he really stuck to his guns because I could see a lot of people in 2009 going to see this and saying, oh, come on, show us something already and blah, blah, because... You talk about a slow burn build in a movie. Yep. There is one early gore shot in the film, but it's very brief and it happens really quickly. One of the things that I, if I can go on about how awesome we are, one of the things that I love about our podcast is that we can sit here and we can review a movie like House of the Devil, And we can talk about how it was written and directed by Ty West, which is very impressive. And how Ty West, when he was younger, would see things like Return of the Jedi and be like, I have no idea how to do that. 
But then when he watches Peter Jackson's horror film, Bad Taste, he's, I think I figured it out. And so he works off of that. That's an actual story about Ty West and this. However, Ari Aster has a film out now called Bo is Afraid, which I have not seen. But there was a promotional thing called the Criterion Closet, where they put him into a room just full of Criterion Collection films, and he picks his favorites. And I watched it, and for eight minutes, the guy talked about movies of which I only knew two. Wow. So you have people who are like on the super sophisticated end who are producing horror films that are very good. Then you have people who are on the very much more practical populist end who are producing movies that are really good. And our podcast talks about both of them. Yeah. And we try and find the ones you may not have heard known about. We don't need to do Freddie or or Michael or Jason. Everybody knows them. They're pop culture memes, house of the devil. People may not know, especially if they're not seeking out all the horror movies. Yep. The film also is a tribute to the satanic panic of the 1980s. I was looking for a Kiss album or a D dice or something like that. (laughs) For our younger listeners during the 1980s, there was this big push about there being secret satanic cults that were sacrificing babies and kidnapping virgins hidden all over the United States. It did not exist. And they insisted there were things like backward masking satanic rituals on albums and playing D&D actually would role playing games would brainwash you and turn you into some sort of psycho killer. So at the start of the film, for instance, there is a title card that explains a little bit about the satanic panic. He does go on to say this movie's based on true events and at no point in time ever besides on that title card, have I found any evidence (laughs) to prove that any of this was actually based on a true event. Okay. But let's talk about based on true events. That is so ambiguous. And Mm -hmm. you could say, because no, seriously, there was a guy that put up posters looking for a babysitter the, to watch his elder mother. So it's based on true events. Okay, yeah, but the end part didn't say it had to be the end part. Yeah, and it happens so often. It's happened already. La Casa Muda was based on real events. It was based on an urban legend of a crime scene. That's all that it really was. It's really hard to do, but the job in this film is a babysitter. It's a job I'm sure almost everyone's done at some point. Did you, were you ever a babysitter? Yeah, actually me and Eric babysat his young cousin at Mm -hmm. one point. It was really weird running into her when she was 30 then. Oh yeah. I imagine the film was made for about $900,000 and it brought in roughly $101,000 theatrically. Wow. It was simultaneously released at the Tribeca film festival in the U.S., and at a film festival in Brazil. I don't know why Brazil was lumped in there. It's like the den being released in Russia first. It went on to do it. They might have had connections and knew somebody, or I really want to take a vacation down to Brazil, so now we're writing this off. That's what your dad always would have told us to do, right? Yeah, just go to Sao Paulo and write it off. It went on to do a whole tour of film festivals in North America and Europe, There was a really limited theatrical release in the U.S. on October 30th of 2009, but it was like literally just that weekend that it was in theaters. 
And that is the problem with the smaller films, getting that distribution, getting out there to the theaters, which like feeds on itself. It's, it didn't make much money. Of course it didn't because we weren't out there, but right. people might not want to see it. But that's where today's world has so many more avenues to get these out and places to find them, which Netflix DVD will no longer be one of those places, unfortunately. I hear yeah. you're going to have to renew your library card. I've got, I've got a library card from New York City. <laughs> Well, they ship videos to your house. Because last year they did a 50th anniversary Spider-Man card, but you had to stop in to get it. So I signed up and I actually was like, should we make a trip to New York just to get a card? But then it was like limited amount and first come first serve. I'm like, I'll get there and they'll be out. (laughs) By 2010, this was being released and distributed on DVD and Blu-ray And then they had this cool promotion where they had it on VHS in a hard clamshell case. Nice. Like you would get back in the day when you bought it. So now what they really should have done is released it that way, but had the movie all the way through. So you had to rewind it first to watch it. (laughs) I saw an interview with Ty West and it was really interesting because he said in the interview, a lot of, and I've noted this in that talk that we did, a lot of famous directors start with a horror movie. And he said the reason that is because you always are guaranteed to make money on horror movies. So when I say it cost him just under 900000 to make, and he made 101000 that's just the theater gate. Right. But post-sales and now streaming as an avenue, people will pick that stuff up. And over time, you're going to make your money back. Yeah. Go on Amazon. Look at the horror movies up there. You see a lot of two and three stars, but it's 7,000 reviews for people are so often. And he was saying that's one of the things that makes horror such a freeing genre. Because if you're doing a drama or an action, the studio wants guarantee they're going to get their money back. So they're only going to go with tried and true stories. But in horror, you can do whatever. And as long as you can say it's a horror movie, they're more willing to get you money because they know in the back end they're going to eventually make it back anyways. The film was shot in 18 days. Wow. And not unlike The Battery, this film was shot in Connecticut. Huh. In a town called Lakeville. And like we've said, it's like a lot of the movies of the time, it's got one setting for the most part. For most of the movie, you're in one spot. Yeah. That saves filming time. That saves cost and all that. But it was very common with a lot of the movies back then. And it was such a common location that not unlike around here, they were shooting it in the fall and they had an infestation of ladybugs. And throughout the movie... There will be ladybugs occasionally that pop up in scenes. I didn't catch any, but yeah, there you go. That's what you're going to look for. The ritual, looking for the beast in the background. Yeah. The soundtrack to this is there's two recognizable actual 80s songs in it. And then other songs that he has in there are 80s adjacent. One of the ones that plays, I think, right at the start, I'm like, is that the Cars? Wait, is that the Cars? (laughs) No, no one's singing. It's not the cars, but it really sounds like them. And I did notice for the music there, they use synthesizer like sounds for a lot of it that were Moog almost. And there's not a lot of music that pops up in some of the scary parts. Today they build a lot of that tension with those deep tones or the music building up. That's what we get. But it was like 
very quiet through a lot of those more tense moments. So yep. difference in filmmaking, but he picked up on that. That's kudos to him for sticking to that. Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of the crew that he hired, he actually hired from the town. So he wasn't actually technically hiring union crew members, but they were so much cheaper because he'd be like, Hey, you want to make a movie? Come here, hold this stick, stand there. And that's what he did for a lot of the crew when he made this film. Ty West was born in 1980 in Wilmington, Delaware. And he did all of his schooling at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. He is a bit of a film purist, but not annoyingly. Like, he said he can overlook scratches and hairs in film, but he doesn't like seeing that in digital artifacts that they throw into digital film formats, that kind of thing. And he speaks very sincerely when you hear him talk about it. It's not you and I both know someone who will sit there and talk about how, oh, you have to get the LP and play it on a record player because the warmth is just so much better. And you're like, you don't hear a difference, Jack. You're just saying that because somebody talked you into buying a $600 turntable. (laughs) And those are the words they used. I believe that for some of the early CDs and stuff, but now I don't. (laughs) But then there are people who are just like really focused in on super fine details. And you're like, why are you paying that much attention? They can't help it. It's just the way they are. That's the kind of guy Ty West seems to be like, he loves the look of film, like actual film as opposed to digital. He did a lot of other films. The first one of his that I saw was called the innkeepers, which I've seen. Okay. And at that time, he was saying in an interview during Innkeepers, he was saying he would eventually have to switch to digital just because the price difference between digital and getting film processed. Yeah, Innkeepers is definitely another right along this line. It, It felt more like an older horror than new. He graduated from school and one of his teachers introduced him to an investor. And I can't remember the name of the investor. But he's not afraid to say his name in interviews. It's not like it's some hidden thing. The guy gave him $50,000 to make a movie and said, here you go. And that's how his first feature film got made. The Innkeepers was $50,000? No, The Innkeepers was like his fifth or sixth film. Oh, oh, okay. I can't remember what the name of his first one is, but... Yeah, I did see the list of films. Yeah. recognized. So he's directed 27 different projects starting with two shorts in 2001, The Wicked and Prey. Then he did three more projects before running The House of the Devil. In the same year, he did Cabin Fever 2, which turned out to be a horrible experience for him. He wanted his name taken off the film, and they wouldn't let him take his name off the film. And it was because he had things he wanted to do, and the corporate... Suits said, no, we're going to do this instead. And so they really hamstrung him throughout the process. He also did The Innkeepers. Love that film. Then he did a couple pieces for anthologies. VHS, The ABCs of Death. He did one of those. Then he followed up with The Sacrament, which is a very different movie than the ones we're watching now. It's Have you seen it? It's a Jim Jones kind of thing. You were talking about... The Sacrament. Sacrament. Have you seen it? No. It's a Jim Jones-based kind of thing. He went on to do several television show episodes, and then he did 
it's almost like a trilogy. He did a film called X, and then he did a film called Pearl, which is focused on one of the characters off of X, at least the same actress. And now he has one in the pipes called Maxine, with three X's in the name Maxine. I would like to watch those sometime. Yeah, I think I've heard of Pearl. Could be. Yeah. His bar for remakes is not the lowest in the world. He says they need to be competent. When he goes in to watch a remake, his general thought is, if I come out thinking it wasn't bad, then it was successful. And we've seen some bad remakes, though. (laughs) Yes. He considered The Ring to be a good remake. And I would agree with him. In fact, in my notes, hidden away somewhere, I say don't tell anyone, but I actually like the American version of The Ring better than the Japanese one. That's a very rare thing. Yeah, it very rarely happens. He's a big Tom Cruise fan. This guy was interviewing him and saying, hey, who would you like to work with? He's Tom Cruise. Wow. The guy's, okay, odd choice, but. I can't see Tom Cruise in a horror movie. Not a good one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He seems to be kind of geeked out over just movies in general, the concept of film, as opposed to some of the other directors we've talked, we've listened to interviews with who are like going on about the cast or going on about the story or themselves. (laughs) This guy just seems to be really into films. Yeah, that's cool. So we'll talk about the cast a little bit. There's a lot of kind of newer actors and actresses in this. Jocelyn Donahue plays Samantha. Uh, she's been in 44 projects. She's from Connecticut. And so I started thinking, oh, I wonder how many people are from Connecticut. So I started make, keeping track. She was in The Burrowers. So. Not that one. Oh, you don't? No. Oh, it's a, it's a good one. It's a horror film out west. Yeah. He's just not that into you. She was in Insidious Chapter 2. Okay. Furious 7. Holidays, which is an anthology horror series. Yes, I've seen horror that one. Yep. I Trapped the Devil, Dr. Sleep. Oh. She was in the Taco Bell Nachos Fries retrieval ad. <laughs> nice. And she has a project in the work. The Last Stop in Yuma County is one of her projects going to be upcoming here. Western? I don't know. Mostly because when you're going through the list, when you get to projects that are upcoming, there's no icon. There's no anything for it. Right, yeah. Tom Noonan plays Mr. Ullman. He, I recognize, but I looked at his list and I'm like, I'm not sure where I recognize him from exactly. Nothing that stood out. Yeah. He's one of those guys who did a whole lot of television. And there's a whole lot of television we would have seen, like an episode of Tales from the Dark Side. He was in Wolfen and Easy Money, The Last Action Hero. He was in there. He was in uh, a couple episodes of X-Files. That's probably where I'm remembering him because some of those bad guys, antagonists in X-Files stick out a lot. Yeah. He was also from Connecticut. So we had, it was filmed in Connecticut. They used Connecticut cast or crew. And now we've got two members of the crew. I was like, cast. I was like, oh, they're all from Connecticut. No, the next was like Florida and California and Georgia, so (laughs) we'll just forget about that. Mary Waranov plays Mrs. Ullman. 
she has been in 122 films. She was born in the 40s, and she got her start in a film called The Beard in 1966. But then she went on to be in two of Andy Warhol's films. Wow. Which is, yeah, so I'm thinking like she was in The Beard, and then she went out to New York and fell into that whole Velvet Underground, Andy Warhol art house scene. So she was in Chelsea Girls and Kiss the Boot. <laughs> she was also in Superboy. And then she was in a couple things that we will know, like Silent Night, Bloody Night, Death Race 2000, Ooh. Logan's Run, yeah, wow, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, Knight Rider. And then I'm trying, I'm going through, she was in Warlock and the Dick Tracy movie. She was in a film called Prison A Go-Go, where she played a character called Diane She-Bitch Slutface. That had to be a 70s movie. <laughs> uh, no, I think it was in the 90s. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I would never have guessed that. She was also in The Devil's Rejects, so she has oh. worked with the great Rob Zombie. Nice. Greta Gerwig plays Megan. She's been in 41 projects, and most of them you won't know. They're almost all television. How I Met Your Dad. She did some Portlandia, and she was in the Mindy Project. Oh, okay. A.J. Bowen plays Victor Ullman, the bearded guy in the film. He's been in 43 pieces, including Creepshow 2, The Signal, Hatchet 2, A Horrible Way to Die. He was in Your Next, Rites of Spring, The Guest, I Trapped the Devil. He's got a pretty long pedigree of horror films yeah but the ultimate tip of the hat of course is d wallace yes who is in the first five minutes she's the landlady she's been in 262 movies oh a few of them yes <laughs> the stepward wives was her first major motion picture wow. the hills have eyes 10 with bo Derek back wow. in the day the howling E.T., Cujo, Alligator 2, Alone in the Dark, Headspace, Abominable, Halloween, 2007 version, Troubled Child, The Lords of Salem, another Rob Zombie, yeah. one of the bazillion Hansel and Gretel films that <laughs> yeah, are out there, <laughs> Polaroid, which is a pretty good one, Red Christmas, Three from Hell, there's Rob Zombie again. The new Jeepers Creepers Reborn, which you can see on Hulu right now. And she's got 12 titles in process right now. Wow. Wow. Very busy, pedigreed horror film actress. Let me just touch on that part of the movie, because it's the very beginning, so it's not giving much away. But from a story standpoint, that's almost unnecessary. You cut out that whole part with her, the girl looking for an apartment and meeting with the apartment, you cut that out, it doesn't affect the story whatsoever. You don't necessarily need to know she's looking for an apartment. From a story standpoint, I was just looking at it like that. What Maybe it was just to add that couple minutes for, oh my God, I can get D. Wallace. Let's write her into this. We only got Five her minutes. for, for yeah. a day. Yeah, I can see that yeah. definitely. But the that part of it is just, cutaway story unnecessary for the rest of it from the story standpoint that's what i saw yeah 
And I think I could agree with you because you could have just gone to the her looking at the newspaper ad where it's $300 a month and then move on from there. You didn't yeah. need the whole introduction. It clocks in at 93 minutes. Perfect time. Which is the perfect time, which kind of makes me think, okay, we can get D Wallace for a day. We can film it and it allows us to pad the opening a little bit to yeah. get us up to that magic number. And I, I will I'll argue with myself against myself that I got to do that funny. sometimes. <laughs> and, but the problem is, which one of me is right? But there are a lot of things in the old 70s movies at times when you watch them that it's just, okay, this is looking at it from today's viewpoint. It's not necessary. There's things added in. What The one that always cracks me up, and I mentioned it, is Last House on the Left. There's like only one spot in the whole movie where they even – make it known that's the last house in that area on the left. Yeah. So there's a lot of additive in the, some of those movies sequences, especially seventies movies. They would add in the disco scene or the filming, the porno scene, or whatever it is. And it's just 10 minutes of added. The one that Colin always mentions to me is the creature from the black lagoon. They have that whole uh-huh. long 12 minute underwater shot. And it was totally unnecessary, but they wanted it in because they had just gotten underwater cameras and yep. they wanted to showcase filming underwater. Yep. Nothing to do with the story. <laughs> it, the Innocence was very much the same way, too. We have this brand new super wide camera. We want to use it. So make sure that yeah. while you're. Yeah, it's. But one of the things that I did notice is that it does a great job of setting the table, if yeah. nothing else. Because if you're watching it, the costuming, the hair that was there. Everyone always goes on about the big hair of the <laughs> high school and college age girls. And you see some of that in this film. Yeah. But they always forget about like the feathering and stuff that was super important to the older women who right. were around in the 80s. And Dee Wallace's character has that, the whole yeah. feathered layer thing. And then he starts the film with that push in to a character, which is something they don't do anymore, but they used to do that a lot. And so he's really taking that whole five minute thing, which story wise might not be that important, but he's setting the table for the film feel. Absolutely. Overall. And again, I'd argue story wise that could be cut, but from the filmmaker, I want this to look and feel like a seventies horror movie. That's how you had to do it. That was part of it. He really must've studied. And I love there was a couple of things in here, but the one I was like when they were at the diner and they're eating, drinking and talking and they had Coke cups. And I'm like, wow, they had to like probably make those. I'm thinking they found some place. They got the old logos. They got it printed special just for this because there's no way in hell from 1980. These Coke cups that were flimsy cardboard have survived. He actually sourced those on eBay. Oh, oh, excellent. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I actually have notes in here about it, but there I you go. I was very impressed. Again, everything looked like the 70s, 80s. That yeah. Transition time period. Yeah. The house that she's looking at, I wasn't sure if it's the whole house or just a floor, was going for $300 a month. And it looks like it's going to be an issue for her. And the landlady picks up on that, too, as she's leaving. She's like, you know what? Don't worry about the deposit. You just come up with first month rent on Monday and we'll be all set. Yeah, which watching it, 
I was wondering, okay, how is she part of this whole scheme and stuff? She's not. (laughs) She's just a lady. Yeah. I also really like how at the end where she's walking away and like the freeze frame with the house of the devil and you've got the church in the background right next to the house. It was a nicely composed shot. Yeah. There is going to be a slight delay. The landlady needs to do something. Again, it was leading back to the landlady being, what's this she has to do? It doesn't matter. And again, the opening soundtrack right there, I'm like, is that Rick Ocasek playing? Or No, it's just a really well-done clone. Yeah. Then you have the credits that go by, and Sam is just walking through town. It looks like your typical everyday average American town. Looks like Laurie Strode walking home from school. There you go. Yep. Aside from the only thing that I noted that was a little odd and I get it is she's walking through town and there's no one on the streets. (laughs) She's the only one out walking about. I took it that it was like an early Sunday morning. That's how I took it because the landlady like, oh, we'll take care of this get it to me by Monday and then by the end of the week. So I'm th- thinking, uh, cause I remember when I was in school, you walk campus at six, at seven, eight o'clock in the morning, not nah, Sunday, nobody's around. I took it as he didn't want to hire extras. So. Either that or he had to clear it <laughs> off. So you wouldn't get cars and people that look like two thousands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the credits are over and Sam is in the dorm building, heading up some stairs she gets to a room and the dorm, they did a really nice job because it looks like that kind of run down converted. Yeah. There's a sock on the door handle of her room. Which if you don't know, that means someone's getting busy inside yeah. and apparently it's her roommate. And it seems to be a situation that she's run into before. And it's not an uncommon situation. You have first and second year students who are rooming for the first time ever they're not going to vibe. Once you make some friends, you can get your own place together. Right. But but they have, kudos, they have managed to stay in the same dorm room and not kill each other so far. Yeah. As she leaves the dorm, crosses campus, on her way, she walks past this bulletin board that has notices all over it. Now, of course, the one we're going to pay most attention to is the one that says babysitter needed with a little phone numbers underneath it. But it also has a whole bunch of things about the Astronomy Society and an eclipse. So there's this kind of subtle story building going on this notice board as she's walking past. Which, again, for all the younger viewers, that was a thing. You had these community boards. We still have it at the Edinburgh store here that people would put things up announcing yard sales, flea market, inviting you to church, babysitter wanted, somebody to drive... Uh, home during break to California. Yep. It was all sorts of stuff like that. And you really did put, tear off the one little slip. Yep. She takes her little slip and she walks up to this strange device that's out in the middle of the street. It's called a pay phone. <laughs> okay. So I assume he had to find a pay phone and set it up for the picture. I assume there's not one wherever they were shooting. If I head in towards Newton Falls, there is a house that has a phone booth in their front yard. <laughs> I am assuming it is non-functional, but it is there. I did see one up. There's a spot in Akron where there's like an abandoned lot and there's still a payphone there. I don't think it works. I think the gas station right in Cotton Corners up here still has one, but I don't think it's it works. <laughs> 
the logo on the top of the thing too is creepy. It was like this all-seeing eye. It was like someone was spying on you while you were using the phone. It was really weird. <laughs> she calls the phone number. She gets an answering machine. Leaves her information. As she's walking away, the payphone starts to ring. I was watching this maybe with Rhiannon. And she's, could you do that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. As long as you had the phone number. I was like, we used to do it at school all the time call home, collect, and then they'd refuse the charges and right. then call you back at the same number. Well, Star 69 used to do it on the phones, too. With, That's with, true. With the, when they got boop boops. Yep. <laughs> she heads back once the phone starts to ring. She answers, and guess what? It's Mr. Ullman offering her a job. He needs a babysitter really badly. He can pick her up in front of the student union, and she's, That's cool. So she heads over there. And spend some time, and he never shows up. So rude. He's Satanist. Right there is the other thing that I'm like, wow, where'd they get that? Was the brick of a Walkman. <laughs> it was the biggest Walkman I think I've ever seen. Probably yeah. like lay you down. You're walking sideways with it. <laughs> she meets her friend Megan at their favorite pizza place. And this is where the cups yeah. they bought off of eBay. Megan wants to know about the house. And she also finds that what Mr. Oldman did quite rude. Sam, on the other hand, wished she had taken pictures of the house, which a lot of the problems in this movie are erased if you have a cell phone. She yeah. would have had pictures of the house. And, hey, Megan, are you home yet? No, I'm just, oh, my gosh, there's a creepy guy with a gun. And she's Sam is worried about money. Megan apparently has money available to her if she wants it. And Sam doesn't want to be involved with any money from Megan's dad. Megan's very upset that Ullman didn't follow up on his agreement to meet Sam. So she wants to go tear down all the flyers across the whole place. And uh, Sam's not all about that. She just wants it all to be over. Yeah. She just... And it's a, actually, I thought that was pretty good. A good college student reaction. Yeah. Yeah. She does go back to her dorm room. She heads to the bathroom. First, she goes into her dorm room, and it's very noticeable how one half of the dorm room is filthy, the other half's clean. They've obviously had a conversation about this. <laughs> and her roommate's boyfriend, who's in bed with her, and they're both passed out, wakes up and winks at Sam. Nice try, buddy. Sam, however, leaves, goes into the bathroom, turns on all the faucets, and sits in a stall and cries for a while. So the money situation has her quite upset. She heads back to her bedroom and her roommate wakes up. Her roommate's creepy boyfriend is gone. Wakes up and lets her know somebody left a message for her. And it turns out it was Mr. Ullman. She calls him back and he apologizes for missing her earlier. Then he begs her to come. He really needs help. He even offers to double the amount. Which, again, kids nowadays, it's actually quite a lot for a couple hours of work. Yeah. For the time period. Then she and Megan are in the car heading out to out into the country. And it turns out Megan had pulled down all the flyers. <laughs> Megan is. So really from a viewpoint, it's all Megan's fault. Really? <laughs> Megan did pretty much everything she possibly could to make sure that this didn't go down like this. Right. They get to the house and Megan's, I want to go in with you. And she's like, no, and she's like, just, you don't know this guy from Adam. Let me go in with you. And so she goes in with her. 
then she's mad because Sam's sending her home, that kind of thing. So Megan was a voice of reason here a little bit. But they're driving out, listening to the breakup song. So Sam allows Megan to come inside with her. The very large house they pull into, Megan points out they're driving a Volvo, the safest of all cars. I'd like to point out that Megan is actually driving a Volvo, and it doesn't seem to help her out very much. (laughs) Yeah. It's not omniscient and know what's going to happen. That's right. Uh, I wouldn't call the house a mansion, but it's a big house. Yeah, a big old farmhouse. Yeah, it's three stories and probably about six rooms of floor or so. Again, a big house, not necessarily a mansion. They head inside. Mr. Ullman seems a bit frazzled. That actor seems to do a good job being either frazzled or forgetful, that kind of thing. He just wants to get the night behind him, he says. He calls Sam away for a private conversation. And the first thing he says is, I don't have enough money to pay for both of you. And Sam's, oh, Megan's leaving. But by the end of their negotiation, he is paying Sam $400 yes. to babysit. Yes. So obviously he's got plenty of money. And I liked that because it's a plot point that you wouldn't think about or pick up on unless you thought about it afterwards. Yep. Uh, very much it, because he definitely wants to get one girl there. He, it, that's what's obvious later. He didn't want two girls there. That, that was the point. <laughs> You watch it a couple times, and you do pick up on all this little sneaky crap they do, like that. And it's done in such a casual way. It's not focused on, not prominent. There's a couple other things coming up, too. That it's, it, 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 Once you think about it, it's okay. Now it's very masterfully done. Yeah. He's very soft-spoken, too. The actor, which makes some of the time the things he says creepy, like such beautiful girls. And you're yes. like... Uh, and that's also part of it, too. Ty West getting you to think one way when things go a different way. So yeah. It's a red herring in a way. Yeah, and it gets even more red here in a bit. He says he's new in town, and did they know they're in the most perfect place on the earth to watch the eclipse? They ask him, is he a teacher, an astronomer? And he's, nah, nah. he evades the questions. And, and when you bring up a huge big night is an eclipse... If you're watching a horror movie, okay, it has something to do with that. Talk. (laughs) Yeah. While Megan is left alone in the living room, she helps herself to a whole big bunch of candy out of the candy bowl, even trying some and not liking that, getting rid of it, but taking a bunch of the other stuff. Did that successfully mute? Yes, it did. Oh, excellent. Nobody needs to hear that. (laughs) Mr. Allman informs Sam that she's not babysitting a child. This is his other big secret. She's babysitting his wife's mother. But she's quite independent, very private. You may never even see her. Sam's not crazy about it, and she's trying to back out. He offers her an additional $100, so now she's up to $200 for the night. She accepts, but pushes him up to $400. Now you're getting paid a hundred dollars an hour for four hours work. That's hard to turn down if you were actually going to get paid at all. Especially since that's a whole month's rent right there already. Yeah. In one night. And the one thing that stuck out to me is I've never been in a situation where I'm going to either do a babysitter or someone's house without being introduced to the person that you're there to keep an eye on. So yeah. that was, uh, that should have been a red flag for her, but I think she's just seeing dollar signs. 
Megan picks up on it. She's not at all happy as Sam's chasing her out of the house. Right. Saying, look at how good the money is, how much it's going to help me out. They part on good terms, and yep. Megan will be back to pick her up. Yeah, at least Megan gets away. Megan's driving down to the end of the driveway. She goes to light a cigarette, and her lighter's not working. So she pulls over next to the cemetery, puts in her car cigarette lighter to get it going. And while she's waiting, someone steps up and with a lighter and offers to light her cigarette. Just some guy in a coat with a big bushy beard. At the end of the driveway by a cemetery with a lighter. And yep. no car around, nothing. I, I'm sorry, no matter what era of horror movie, that's a bad sign. That's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad one. She does light her cigarette, asks where he came from, because it's dawning on her like, where the hell do you come from? And then he's, it's cold out here. And she's, yeah. And I'm not fighting you in my car. He asks if she's the babysitter. And when she says she's not, he pulls out a snub-nosed pistol and just shoots her in the head. Bam. No more precursor to that. (laughs) Yep. Pushes her body to the side, gets in her car because it's slowly starting to roll forward since her foot's off the brake. Grabs her lit cigarette out of her bloodied hand, smokes it, and I thought he drove her car away. He really doesn't because you see it at the cemetery in the last scene anyways. Oh, yeah. But yeah. So at this point, you see this happen. You could be mistaking, thinking that, oh, this is going to be one of those things where the omens leave and then this creepy guy is going to try and break into the house. Yes. Again, another red herring leading you in a different direction. Really well done. Yeah. And that was the part. I think I was watching this with Price. And that was the part where Price was like, he felt really bad because he really liked Megan's character. So she's not suffering anymore. (laughs) That was a pretty gory shot, too. It was, again, well done, but pretty gory to watch. (laughs) Yes. Back at the house, Mr. Ullman gives Sam half of her money in advance and points out that his mother-in-law is asleep. And there's a million times between now and when they leave where he reminds her there's a phone number for a pizza place right there because college kids like pizza. Number right there. Call that pizza number. And he gives her extra money just for pizza. Yeah. Then he heads upstairs. And this part is a little bizarre because Sam hears him reassuring someone that everything's going to be fine. And she assumes it's Mrs. Ullman. But Mrs. Ullman comes up from downstairs. Right. Nope. It's a Norman Bates thing. (laughs) Mrs. Ullman tries to get some information out of her unsuccessfully. They are sharing some pleasantries when Mr. Ullman comes down to join her, which is odd because we could have sworn that's who he was talking to. And there is another person in the house. Refresh. But that person never actually showed. Yeah, I was talking and you're like, Uh, I, I said, yeah, he goes upstairs to talk to somebody, but it's really a Norman Bates type of thing. So I saw my screen went blank and I'm like, now last time he could still hear me and t- see me. So I'm going to talk to him while I'm texting and then we'll take a break and I'll refresh. There we go. But we're So it's a choppy episode. It's kind of, it's instead of lost footage, it's lost audio and it's. It's the horror movie coming to get it's us. It's just the quality that you could expect from back then if you were trying to do yes. stuff online. Exactly. I'll add a filter. We get hair go. put on it. So 
the odd thing is, who's he talking to? Because there is one other person in the house. We see them at the end of the film. But Sam is going upstairs constantly and never runs into anyone else. And he mentions he's going up to talk to his wife, but then she comes in from out, outside. And that's a weird thing. Sam's not, hold on. Now I know you're lying to me. Something's going on. It, it, they just gloss over it. And she's, yeah. she comes up and says she was getting her furs from the basement. And that they're from the desert. They come from the yeah. desert, wherever that is. From all the furred animals in the yes. desert. I will give Sam this. Whenever Mrs. Ullman tries to get any personal information out of her, she doesn't really give her any about her mom yeah. or anything like that. Do you have a boyfriend? She evades all that stuff pretty effortlessly. Not yeah. that it would have changed the she, night at all. but She's feeling a little creeped out, but like you said... As is $400. I can make yep. it through this. So the two of them leave. They head out for the night in their Volvo. Sam tries to call. Megan's not home. Get her answering machine. There's this kind of weird water motif that happens throughout this next section where there will be a close-up of water dripping in the sink or her running a faucet. Yeah, I'm not exactly... Maybe it's like a recurring motif in the 80s films. But I didn't really pick up on any message or thread of using it, aside from, like, breaking up scenes. I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit that it's right after she drinks that she starts getting all spacey and all that. So I'm like, did they set it up somehow, something in the water? But we know it's not that. So that was the whole reason we had pizza. <laughs> but they made it seem like that. Maybe it's just another red herring. Yes, that could to be. make you wonder that. Yeah. We kind of get this tour of the house. It's this very old grandma house kind of vibe. It's got all kinds of weird little knickknacks here and there. None of them particularly screaming out, spooky, run from this place. There's a <laughs> right. billiards room. There's like a sitting room. It's starting to sound like a clue game. Yeah. <laughs> the oddest. Crazy old man in the attic. Yeah. With the pentagram. The oddest thing I thought of all of the things in this opening part that was strange was they have a harpsichord. It's a yeah. very bizarre instrument to have. Sounds she good. does order a pizza from the phone number on the fridge. The guy says it'll be there in 30 minutes. When she goes to order the pizza, he says, do you want anchovies on it? That's apparently a reference to a movie in the 80s where people would deliver you drugs with your pizza if you ordered it with anchovies uh... on it. I can't remember which movie uh, and, it is. But. And it, I'm glad you said that she calls the number to order pizza. It's not that she's calling the pizza place to order right. pizza. Right. <laughs> she calls that number to order pizza. Yeah. yeah. There's a noise upstairs. So we get a tour of the upstairs. She goes upstairs. There's a second story office. There's a bedroom. There's like a goldfish. A bedroom for... That she taps the glass yeah. on. <laughs> There's a, I put in my notes, will the goldfish die? They're always killing off animals in these. <laughs> and will Steve be upset by the goldfish dying? Yeah, oh man, the goldfish. <laughs> There's a telescope and some trophies in their son's old room. There's a second story sunroom, which it's a very nice house. Yeah. She heads back downstairs, pulls some work out of her bag, gives up on that. Gets at her candy bar. She hears a noise outside. She goes, look. She doesn't see anything. 
So she turns on the TV, and it's the news. And Lunar Eclipse is leading off the news. It'll peak at midnight. And it's... Just in case you missed all the other right. references. Let's nail it here. So the news is to be followed by Frightmare Theater. Dun, dun, dun. A little foreshadowing. She doesn't bother watching whatever's going to be on next. She turns the TV off, puts on our Walkman with the fix. One thing leads to another, and we have this whole risky business dance scene while she's dancing through the house. <laughs> yes. As she's dancing through the house, she breaks a vase. There goes the 400 bucks. So she grabs a whisk broom and she's cleaning it up. As she's cleaning it up, she opens this closet. And in the closet hanging are a bunch of furs, which is odd to her because Mrs. Ullman says she kept her furs in the basement. Then there's this bag and she pulls it out and it's got family photos of a family at that house who are not those people. And in fact, there's a picture of them posing by the Volvo that the omens just took into town. Then she looks out and there's Uh-oh. a conversion van out in the side yard. This is just all very strange. Yes. <laughs> she tries to call Megan, but Megan's not back yet. Go figure. Of course not. She's at the end of the driveway. Yes. She puts down the Walkman and grabs a kitchen knife. Smart yes. Girl. Much better. Doesn't help. Much better than the guy from batteries, right? Yes. It's time to be serious. We're going to quit listening to music and grab a weapon. <laughs> she heads into the bathroom. While she's in the bathroom, there's a thump. There's some water motif stuff going on. She grabs the knife and she heads out of the bathroom following the sound. It's coming from upstairs. She calls upstairs and no one answers. Just thumping noises. So she follows upstairs to a room asking Mrs. Ullman if she, everything's okay. And we can see on the other side of the door, everything's okay with Mrs. Ullman. There's a pentagram on the floor with all the old family members and they're dead. So not so good with them. But I'm sure Mrs. Ullman is just fine. (laughs) Sam doesn't open the door, though. Yeah, yeah. I'll dig through your closet and pull out pictures in a bag, but I'm not going to open that door where there might be a person. I was assuming (laughs) it was going to be locked. She continues to follow the noises, finding a set of stairs heading up into the attic, but the doorbell rings, stopping her. And she gets the pizza and throws $20 to the delivery guy, telling him to keep the change. And I don't know that he needs that change unless he needs to buy more ammo, because it's the guy with the pistol who killed Megan. Uh, Yeah. So my question was, where exactly was he to get the phone call, for one? And number two... $20, $20, that was probably only like a 5 $6 pizza, so that's a good tip. It was eight ninety nine, I believe, he said on the phone. Okay. Did he say that yeah. I missed that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question because no cell phones. Yeah. Maybe he was back at the payphone. Huh? Or maybe there's a pool house or something that we didn't actually get a chance to see wow. with its own phone True. line. Yeah, that would have been weird, though. But Back then, like, when my dad used to do accounting and stuff, he had a his own phone downstairs. He could get a different line number for that line. True. She tries to call the number Mr. Ullman left for her for where they would be, but it says it was disconnected. She tries calling 911, and they answer, and then she chickens out. And 911 was pretty new it at was. that time, too. 
they do call back to make sure there's no emergency. And then she's there like, this is an emergency only. The funny thing is there's an action. They did not use a five, five, five phone number on the sticker on the road, on the rotor. It's an actual phone number for a fire station, like in a New York city suburb somewhere. Oh, I wonder if they can call I, I'm wondering. She cuts up the pizza aggressively. I don't know why you'd have to be that aggressive cutting up a, Slice pizza. She grabs the slice, goes to the TV room to eat it. As she's, and we're watching her through the window. She turns on the TV, and of course, the film is Night of the Living Dead. Because it's yeah. one of the most recognizable public domain films of in the horror genre. Yes. She turns it off. She's had two bites of the pizza. She's not really keen on it, so she throws the rest out. See, I took that, that whatever they put on the pizza, she tasted and didn't like the taste. You're correct. And tossed it. Yeah. Okay. That's why she didn't like it. But there was some comment Megan had made earlier about sometimes the pizza's just not right. Yeah. So it was foreshadowing to... Another herring. There's an odd noise coming out of one of the drain pipes. She decides to head back upstairs. She's turning on all the lights as she goes. It's about time. This place has been extremely dark and yes. gloomy. She ends up in the upstairs bathroom. In the bathtub is a great big pile of dyed black hair. Ew. Very disgusting yeah. looking. She goes to the stairs leading to the third floor. And there's a door at the top of the stairs. She tries to turn on a light in the stairwell going up and it blows a fuse knocking the lights out to the entire house. That's an old, old <laughs> <Yeah>. system. <laughs> Unless they set it up to do that. Oh, that's true. Never thought of that. She hears a noise from behind the upstairs door. And as it opens, this hand reaches out and like grabs the edge of the door. All of a sudden, Sam's like, I don't want to be here anymore. And oh my gosh, the drugs and the pizza are starting to kick in. She starts stumbling down the hall. Good night. She's out unconscious. Yeah. 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 And like all the classic movies of that time, the horror ones, we're looking at the time going, oh my gosh, there's 10 minutes left. And that's where all the horrific stuff happens. For a lot of them, that's exactly what Yeah, you could ride seatbeltless until the last 20 minutes and you better buckle up. Yeah. (laughs) She wakes up. She's tied up on a pentagram. Now, about the only thing I will say that's not overly true to these kind of films in the 70s and 80s, she had on far too many clothes for this scene. Yeah, but that also kept it... A little classier, right? Yeah. I'm just saying true homage, there'd have been skin. Yeah. And when she went up to the her room with her roommate, there would have been something there too, you know? Yeah. She wakes up tied up on a pentagram. Mr. and Mrs. Ullman and young Victor Ullman, the guy with the beard, are all there in black robes. And then we see who's actually living in the loft. It's actually a nice demonic demon hag disguised as a person. She's starting to come. I know. <laughs> she's starting to come too, and she's struggling to break free to no avail. And then it, the amount of detail he put into this ceremony is impressive. Because it's not the kind of thing where, like, they're doing stuff and the camera's back here. Like, there's this goat skull. It's upside down. There's no bottom jaw. The hag pulls up Sam's shirt and traces a blood pentagram on her belly. 
And then she sets the goat's, goat skull upside down in that pentagram. Then she cuts her own wrists and bleeds into the skull. I'm thinking this is not a tasty cocktail she's mixing up here. No. <laughs> if you thought the pizza tasted yeah. bad. She traces some runes on Sam's forehead before she picks up the skull and pours the blood into Sam's mouth. Yeah. Sam does manage to get a hand free and slaps the hag, who retreats screeching. Apparently doesn't like being touched. Then she gets herself untied. As she, she's a she is she I, she's the last girl. Yes, yeah, very much. Reminded me a lot of what's her name from I, again, Last House on the Left. Kept fighting, yeah. and fighting to no avail in the end. But yeah, as she runs, she grabs a nice hags knife and stabs Mr. Ullman in the gut. Just as sheep coming through. Victor goes after her. She gouges his gouges him in the eyes enough that he yeah. lets her go. Now, let me stop real quick. The one thing that stuck out to me with that ritual that I thought was really great, actually, was nobody was, let me explain to you what we're doing. Or, hey, don't forget, for this part of the ceremony, it was like you're watching this. You're like, oh, my God, what are they doing? And they're not. So, again, you have to piece together what's been going on. And, okay, you're tied up on a pentagram. We're dealing with blood. We got it. We figured it out. But I loved it because they didn't feel the need to over-explain no everything going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She gets upstairs and slips in the blood of her friend whose body is lying in the kitchen. Minus her face, of course. Yeah, I'm faceless yeah. very much. She grabs, she grabs the kitchen knife. Victor's chasing after her. He shoots her in the shoulder. And then he, like, comes up to her and he's... It's odd because the ceremony's been performed and we want her to survive. But he's so pissed off. Like, it looks like he's about to end her. But yeah, that's... You get the impression, okay, it's a sacrifice. We got the moon. We got some devil-worshipping call. It's going to be a sacrifice. That's why they want her dead. Another right. Marriage. But he gets close, and she just lashes out with the knife, catches him across the throat. He falls backwards, glurgling. 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 Grabs the gun. <laughs> and now Mrs. Ullman is following. Sam is starting to have these visions of the hag, and there's this black spider webbing appearing across her abdomen. That looked so much better than it would have back then. True. Mrs. Ullman's... Now, Mrs. Ullman starts to monologue a little bit. She's, you stupid yeah. girl, blah, blah, blah. And she's standing there staring out the window, and Sam gets up and stabs her in the back. Like, all yeah. right. Definitely Mrs. Allman's just a touch on the crazy yeah. side. <laughs> she, yeah, but I care, her character, her, of how she acted, it's, that type of person is in a lot of these type of yep. movies. You get that. So it felt comfortable. The person is way wow. down the rabbit hole. Yeah. She heads downstairs, tries to call 911, grabs the gun, but the, the hag keeps giving her these visions. They're getting worse, so she runs from the house into the adjoining cemetery with Mr. Ullman limping along, following her with a knife in his belly. We end up in the cemetery and 
she's like pointing the gun at him. He's like, it's fine. Shoot me. I'm fine with that. It's not about me. I'm fine with me dying as long as you're going to be okay. <laughs> and now she gets, she is not a babysitter. She is not a sacrifice. She is, yeah, she is going to be carrying devil baby, apparently. Yeah. So he says the ceremony's done. It can't be stopped. And she's like, yeah. Shoot yourself in the head. And he's. End of the movie. Yeah. But not. (laughs) The next scene we get is the news saying astronomers are confused as to why it took three hours to lead up to the eclipse. And all of a sudden it just stopped. We don't get it. <laughs> that I liked that part. That was a good addition to the whole mythology in the yeah. movie. You liked that. Wow. They are controlling stuff. That's even scarier. Yeah. And then we pan, we cut from there to find Sam lying in hospital bed, her head bandaged, and there's an IV dripping there. And a nurse comes in and is putting medicine and saying, you're going to be okay. And so's the baby. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. And that's where it gets all tied together masterfully. Yes. Because it, you could still very much say, what is going on? They, it was a, a satanic cult sacrifice and they didn't sacrifice her. She killed herself, but she's still alive. And then, oh my gosh. And so, but they didn't have any sex scene. It was that had to be supernatural because it was the blood and the moon the and you goat know, head. So, yeah. It's yeah. Really it was. Head. And I, I love the fact that the same pistol that at close range completely removed Megan's face, <laughs> Sam shot herself in the head with it and survived. Could that have been because of the baby? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's, yeah. it's the supernatural power is showing that for sure. Once it had started, it couldn't be stopped. And so it deflected. Yeah. And you hear about that. Someone who tries to shoot themselves in the head with a twenty-two, and the bullet ricochets right. around right. under the skin. Right. It looks right. like it did that with a much more powerful shell. Yeah. It, this is definitely a movie that some people probably wouldn't give enough of a chance to and watch it being open to a period piece essentially and making it feel and everything like that time period. So, you know, that's a shame because it was masterfully done throughout the whole thing to look exactly like what it Yeah, it, it takes a bit of patience, but especially in an era where we romanticize that period of time, the 80s and the 90s, and we have television sitcoms about it and how great it was and things like that. This is a really good example of what that kind of movie was. This was this would have been a Saturday night film. Yeah, yeah. Would have had to stay up really. Or hopefully Mr. Koss had it down at the video store and we could grab a copy. That'd be watch. awesome. <laughs> and not explain to my mother exactly what it yeah. was. No, it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. House of the Devil. Yes. There's a lot to it. A good one to really keep your mind open and watch and enjoy what it is. Yeah. And I think it's a really good film from a really good promising director. And I'm, I don't want to say that he's like an early director anymore because he's got a whole lot of films under his belt, but this is early in his career. Yeah. And you know, nothing against him at all. I loved this film and I recognize a couple of theirs. I think 
he probably won't be one of those huge directors because he seems very much like he wants things a certain yes. way. And unfortunately, that's probably going to hold him back yeah. a little bit from the standpoint of Uber. He's success. only going to make the movies he wants. Yeah. And I think he's doing yep. fine. So you still may not hear from him in 10 years, but there's probably going to be some yep. good movies from him. For sure. So what's next? Well, going through the list, I've been sensitive about my choices of American films versus foreign films. And this season, we actually have more American films than we do foreign films. The last three that we've gone over, including House of the Devil, have all been for the United States. Now we're going to switch over to a British film called Kill List. Ooh, nice. Okay. What's the job? Hitman. Oh, that yep. makes sense with a title called yep. Kill List. All right. All right. Hey. See ya.